So take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 17. We're looking at verses 20 to 23 as the kiddos head to the kids' table. John chapter 17, verses 20 and 23. So we've looked at a resurrection of hope the first Sunday, Easter Sunday. We, are look, we looked at a resurrection of life, uh, looking at Lazarus last week, a resurrection of life in our church. And this morning, we are looking at a resurrection of unity. All of these messages have as much to do with us as a corporate body as it does with us as individual believers. As a matter of fact, it, it, whatever happens in the life of an individual believer affects the corporate uh, group of believers uh, directly. We are members of the body. So when the pinky hurts, the whole body hurts. The whole body hurts because of the pinky and so on and so forth. So all of this affects us directly, and we are looking at unity this morning. This is uh, Jesus' prayer. He's in the upper room. Uh, John expands what happened both before and after the, the Lord's Supper in the upper room the night before he was betrayed. Uh, the, the, the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they uh, give us much briefer versions. John tells us what Jesus said, what he talked about, and what he prayed. Catch this. This is the night before he will be betrayed. As a matter of fact, at this point, he has already been betrayed. He's got to get out to the Garden of Gethsemane before it shows up, but Judas is left. So he will be betrayed in just a few hours. He will be uh, put through the mockery of a trial early in the morning, middle of the night, early, early morning, by sunrise or around that he will be crucified and, and dead by midday. And of all the things he could be doing, of all the things that John could have recorded him praying about or for, and, and we do have uh, some of his prayer in the garden, uh, not here in John, the, the synoptics actually cover that, the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Of all the things he could have prayed for, he prays for you and me. Now he prays for others. He prays for himself at the beginning of chapter 17. He, he prays for his disciples that are right there in the room with him in the middle of chapter 17. But, but those two things make sense, right? He prays for himself because he knows what he's about to go through. He prays for his disciples because they are right there and he is about to lose his physical, direct influence over them. He is squeezing in three years of teaching uh, into, or squeezing three years of teaching into just a few hours. You, you, if you read, and, and you, you should have read some of it, but if you read all of uh, chapters, what is it, starts at 13 through 17, you, you sense an urgency in his teaching here. That, you know, there, there's no, he teaches and they go somewhere. He teaches and he, they do this other, th I mean, it's just boom, 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 boom. That he's got to get them to understand because this is his last time for extended uh, conversation with them. Extended opportunity to teach. 
But he doesn't just pray for himself. He doesn't just pray for his disciples. He prays for all believers in verses 20 through 23. And there are a load of things he could have prayed for for us. I mean, he could have prayed that we didn't have to go through persecution. He could have prayed that everything would have been hunky-dory. He could have prayed that there would be no hurricanes that would destroy churches. He could have prayed for a a whole bunch of things. But the, the one thing he prays for, for us, is unity. That should tell us something about the importance of unity to Jesus, the importance of the unified church to Jesus. Read with me John 17, verses 20 through 23. Jesus says, I pray not only for these, these disciples, but also for those who believe in me through their word. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me, so that they may be made completely one, that the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. As we examine this passage, the the way we need to examine it is grammatically. There, there are a lot of mays, uh, might be's, sh- could be's in here. Uh, as well, it's there are it's what one, two, three, four, five, six times he says there may be. There are only two direct action verbs. Jesus says in verse twenty, "I pray," and in verse twenty-two, "I have given." Those are our main points as we look at this passage, and everything else falls under those two points. And that's, that's the way this passage should speak to us. Jesus says, I pray for them, and I have given them. Well, the first point, the first part of the passage, Jesus prays for us in verses 20 through 21. I, I pray not only for the disciples, but for those who will believe in me through their word. Now, we already talked about how phenomenal and amazing it is that Jesus is bothering to pray for First Baptist Church of Sulphur the night before he's crucified. But that's who he's praying for. And of course, not just us, but I believe in, I know in God's uh, omniscience and whatever God allowed the Son to know as a human, because we're not going to get into all this today, but, but Jesus Uh, made the choice to put aside the free exercise of his divine attributes. He didn't know everything as Jesus on earth because he chose as the Son to put that aside and only know what God told him. I've said this to you before. That's why he could turn around when the woman touched the hem of his garment and said, who touched me? And it not be a setup, but truly the son say uh, the the son who set aside his divine attributes and incarnate as Jesus, going now really y'all who touched me, and that be okay. He didn't cease to be God, but he ceased to exercise all the power of God because it would serve the purposes of God better. So he uh, stands there. He he he. 
Gone, gone. There it is again. But it's this, yeah. My battery is good, so I don't know what happened. I'll let them keep an eye on it, and I'll keep going. No, I'm, I'm still on, so. All right. So he sets that aside. He sets that aside and says, while I could be praying for me, and nobody would question why I'm praying, why I'm praying for me, I'm going to pray for them. Phenomenal in and of itself. But what does he pray? And, and he says, I pray for two things. He prays that we will be one, that's us, that they will be one, and he prays that we will be in them. Let's look at the first thing he prays. Again, that's the way grammatically it says up. I pray, verse 21, may they all be one. Now, what does that mean? Well, it obviously means unity. It obviously means, and he wasn't just praying that First Baptist Sulphur be one, but that every believer that comes after the disciples will be one with each other. That's the plan. That's the purpose. That is the goal. But, but again, what does unity work look like? And, and I am only primarily responsible for teaching First Baptist Sulphur. Anybody else who listens in can learn as well. But my responsibility as under-shepherd to Jesus is to this church. So I'm telling you that Jesus prayed for us, this group, to be one, to have unity. What does that look like? Well, primarily, it means united with each other in commitment to Jesus and to the Father. Well, what does that mean, broadly That the, the, the microphone's going to come and go. I'm, I'm, I think I'm plugged in good. It means that we are not going to always agree. You are going to disagree with each other. We are going to disagree. There will be disagreements. There will be different ideas. I mean, just try to plan a vacation with a family of four and, and see the disagreements and see, well, I want to go do this and I want to do that, but I want to eat at Waffle House. I don't like Waffle House. I don't know why you don't like Waffle House. Waffle House is awesome. But you don't want to eat at Waffle so we won't eat at Waffle House. I don't know who has that conversation. Uh, that's just a pure hypothetical um, there are going to be disagreements, but it doesn't change the unity of the family. Now, what can change the, the, the unity of the family is when there are theological disagreements. When one part of the family says, I don't believe in God. One part of the family says, Jesus isn't the Savior. One part of the family says, this isn't even in my, my religion. Well, that is the kind of disagreement that will lead to disunity, but as we read the New Testament, those are the kinds of uh, disunities that are supposed to happen. That, that Jesus is going to call out his church, and that is who is to be unified. But it doesn't mean that you disband or disunify over disagreements. There's a unity even among disagreements. And, and we see here that he is talking about 
more than just love. Jesus has told them, you, they will know you are my disciples by your love for each other. But now he is drilling down on that. Yes, you need to love each other. But what will that love look like? That love will look like unity. Or maybe a better way to say it is that it is the unity that will express itself in love because there must be something visible to the outside world. That's the whole point he's going to make with this passage. He is not shooting for unity and love for their own sake, but for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of himself. So if, if our unity is obviously and must obviously be visible to the outside world, then our disunity is going to be just as obvious to the outside world. They are going to see our disunity. They're especially going to see our disunity when there are those to see, that seek to create further disunity or that are stirring up the disunity outside of the church. But they're going to see it. The world will see that, and the world will respond accordingly. Jesus makes the point here that unity will send a message that will bring people to faith. Now, don't, don't, don't say, well, Michael says that all we have to do is be unified, and people, uh, that, and that's the gospel. No, that's, that's not what I said. What I'm saying is when we tell people of the gospel, when we share the gospel, and they hear that, that coming from a group that can't even love each other, how are they going to believe that God loves them? Unity sends the message that the gospel is true, that the gospel, is work, the, the gospel works. Again, that's exactly what Jesus tells us in these four verses. How do we get that unity? We can't be we can't unify ourselves. We can't create unity. Doesn't work. If we set about to create unity, what we're going to end up doing is trying to have a body that's all a thumb or all an ear. The, the, there's a reason that Paul, through the, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, chose the human body as a picture of the church because there are multiple parts doing multiple things all at the same time, having different responsibilities, some responsibilities that we wouldn't want to have, and other parts having responsibilities. Well, that's great. Wish I had that responsibility. But still working together for the singular purpose of whatever the body is supposed to be doing at that moment. My whole body is involved in preaching. Apparently part of it is involved in blocking the signal to the, to the soundboard from my microphone. See, part of my own body is messing up with things right now. need to get on track. Our unity exists. We are a body of multiple parts so that we can reach people but we will only be unified. Our unity only exists. This one is coming and going. I'm going to turn it off. All right. I'm on pulpit, Mike. Our unity exists only because of the revelation to us 
by the Father through the Son. What do I mean by that? We can only be unified because of what God did through Jesus. That's our unity. Our unity is not our ages. Our unity is not our uh, aesthetic choices. Our unity is not our degrees of physical ability. Our unity is not our preferences. None of that is our unity because as many people as we have the, here this morning, we have differences in all of those things and many, many more things. So our unity has to be outside of ourselves. And if our unity is outside of ourselves, just as our salvation is, then it is something we cannot do on our own. It's something we can't manufacture. So Jesus prays next. He prays for us that we will be one, and he prays for us that we will be in them. Verse, second half of verse 21, verse 21 begins, May they all be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. May they also be in us. The second part of this prayer is that we will be in them. God's plan to share salvation to the world was not confined to three years of Jesus' ministry, the three years of Jesus' ministry. That's when everything was made clear. That's when the gospel was uh, uh, birthed, for lack of a better term. The, 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 the leading up to the cross, the, the crucifixion, the death, burial, and resurrection. That was the gospel in act. But it was the preparation for the Great Commission. It was preparation for the next step. Jesus wasn't going to live on earth forever and be the, the conduit for the gospel. It was his people. It was the church's responsibility. That's the way it was set up. That's the way it had always been set up. So it was our responsibility to share the gospel. That was God's plan. So then we as a church must be unified so that gospel message will go out. And we will be unified as we unify in them. Another way to think of that. Just as the Father is active in and through the Son, so also the Son is to be active in and through believers. How active is Jesus in and through you right now. I'll wait. That is when we will be a unified church with a unified goal. Again, getting back to the, the analogy of the body. If my goal is to walk from the front of the gemuary to the back of the Jimuary. Jimuary, sanctuary, gym, Jimuary. Um, then I have various body parts that are going to have to work together to make that happen. And those those are going to be diverse body parts. And and generally, if everything's working right, if my brain says we're going to the back of the the Jimuary, then. Arms, legs, 
inner ear that keeps me standing up straight, keeps me my balance, uh, my eyes, my ears to make sure nobody's coming up behind me to smack me in the head, nobody's in front of me, or if they are, I can walk around them. All of that's going to be working together to get me back there. One goal, but a bunch of different parts working together to meet the goal. The problem is, and, and this, is, this, is, this happens with our bodies, sometimes our bodies don't do the things we want them to do. We have strokes or, or, or heart attacks or just uh, congenital issues that, that the, the leg doesn't work right and the arm doesn't work right or whatever, and, and we struggle to get the body, uh, all the parts of the body to work together. The, the goal is the same, but some body part is slowing us down, is causing issues. If we as a body of believers are all in Jesus as Jesus is in the Father, if we will be in them, we will all have the same goal and every body part will work toward that same goal. Notice I said if. Notice how many times Jesus says may. Now, for you grammar nerds, this is the subjunctive mood. This is the maybe mood. This is the might happen mood. This is conditional. Other things have to happen before this happens. There are only a handful, three or four active verbs. There are only two things Jesus is, is actually doing in the passage. He's praying and he's giving, or he has given. And a couple of times he's describing some other things that have happened in the past that allow him to do that, like the glory God has given him, uh, the God has sent him, uh, that God has loved. But those all support the fact that he had given his glory. The other verbs in here are the maybe verbs, they, the, the might be verbs, that they may all be one in the beginning of verse 21, that they may also be in us. So the world may believe. Y'all, it is not a certainty that our church will be unified. Who can say amen? It is not a given. It is not an absolute. We are not automatons. We are not robots. We are not programmable droids that all fall in lockstep. We have sin natures. We have a free will. We get to choose. So it isn't a certainty that we will be one as Jesus prayed that we would be. So, just like I said earlier, salvation is outside of us. Unity is outside of us. Unity is not our responsibility. We need to stop working for unity. Don't stop praying for unity because it's given to us. But we can stop working for it and instead let's work on individually being in Christ, in God. If we individually are in them as Jesus prays, we will have unity because they will provide it. Our, our, our unity isn't our responsibility, but our relationship to the Trinity is. Our relationship to the Father through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, that is my responsibility. 
And if I get that right, and if you get that right, then Jesus will resurrect unity in our church. I've talked about with a number of people, I talked about it last week, and I'm going to continue to talk about the, the feeling, the, the, not just feeling, the, the real unity our church has right now and has for a number of months. Going through crisis situations will do that to a group of people. But we have unity certainly like I have never seen here. And that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. But it's not because we fought for unity. Because if we're honest, some of our strongest unity has come when we were most disconnected. That might be a bad thing. Well, if you want to have unity, don't be around each other. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we were dependent not on ourselves to create unity. We were dependent on God to do something in our hearts apart from events and activities and, in, and apart even from gathering on Sunday morning together in the same room. We were having to depend on the Lord to do something in our hearts. And when he did, our church came together. Our church came together for weeks, passing out supplies out here. Our, we can go back further. Our church came together when we were doing, uh, when we handed out free jambalaya early on in the pandemic. I guess sometime in May we did that, maybe April. And, and, and making VBS work outside and, and making church work outside and, and making worship gatherings work with, with nobody in the sanctuary, but making sure it was out to everybody. Over and over, we were unified, not because we woke up someday and said, hey, today we're going to be unified, but instead we woke up one day and said, hey, today I'm going to listen to how the Father leads me through Jesus Christ, and I will then unbeknownst to me, be unified with my brothers and sisters who are also doing the same thing today. And we have seen it over and over and over. And when we are unified, when we have unity, the Bible tells us, Jesus tells us, it's so the world may believe. So the world may believe. Subjunctive mood, right? Might happen. The whole world won't. But they might if they see a unified church. Take note. Believe. Okay? Maybe even circle that because I'm going to have you circle another word here in a minute. Or ten. So Jesus doesn't just pray. That's the first action he does. But in this moment... Verse 22, Jesus gives us his glory. That's the second division of these four verses. I have given them the glory you have given me. Now, what is he talking about uh, here when he says glory? When we think of the glory of God or the glory of anything, we think of accolades, we think of, of rewards, we, we think of uh, any number of, of uh, praises and that sort of thing. This, this glory is not the visibility and the stature 
of, of his position. Jesus has not given us his glory as the second person of the Trinity. We didn't all suddenly become as glorious as the second person of the Trinity. He's not even talking about, or he's not talking about that aura that Abraham, or rather that Moses saw on Mount Sinai. He saw his glory pass by, the backside of God's glory pass by. He's not talking about that either. What he is talking about is something that he gave them at that moment. In this moment, and, and prior to this, but he is vocalizing again that he is consecrating himself to the mission as a sacrifice. Jesus is consecrating himself to the mission that God has called him to, has put him on earth for. We, we see it in his prayers in Gethsemane and the other gospels. Not my will, but yours. Let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours. I, I want whatever you want for me, Father, and I know what you want for me. And I'm not excited about it, but I will do it because you've called me to it. He is consecrating himself to his mission as a sacrifice for us. But in consecrating himself and then saying, I'm giving you the glory. The glory he's talking about is the mission as a sacrifice. So at this point, Jesus is consecrating them as well. Consecrating them not to the cross that he will bear the next morning. Not to the responsibility and role of uh, earning forgiveness for the world through their death. That's not what he's doing. He is consecrating them to the mission of sharing and sharing in his sacrifice. So when he says, I have given them the glory you have given me, he is saying, I have given them the responsibility. I have given them the call. I have given them the commission. I've given them the mission that you have given me. We have different responsibilities in it, but it is their responsibility as well. Right? Because he's already told us just the verse in the verse before, I pray not that you will be, uh, that they will all be one so that the world may believe you sent me. My mission is to die as a sacrifice. Your mission is to tell everybody what I did. That's your glory. That's the glory I'm giving you. That's what he has given us, okay? So, verse 23. Uh, verse 22, I have given them the glory. I have consecrated them to the mission. Why? So that we will be one. It, it's going to get redundant here. Let me just warn you. There are three whys or, or hows uh, whys in this. He prays that we will be one, that we will be in them, he gives us in the, the, his glory so that we will be one. This is the, the second mention of unity. Neither self-generated, we don't create the unity, nor is it an end to itself. We aren't unified, so we don't fight. 
That's not the purpose. That's not the goal. That is an end result of unity, but that's not the purpose of unity or the goal of unity. The goal is to be consecrated, to be sanctified, to be on mission, to do the job that we have to do. The goal is that all the parts get us to the other side of the room or whatever the, the goal is on that day. I have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. In the same way we are one, Jesus and God. Now we could talk about the, the union of Jesus and God here. And we could talk about it for quite some time. But we won't. We'll leave it as they are completely devoted, and I'm going to use a lot of human terms to describe something that is divine, so it's not going to work exactly, but devoted, loving, they are equally honoring, they are equally supportive, they, are, they have the same thoughts, they have the same goals, they have the same purpose, they have the same ideas. I do nothing that the Father, except what the Father tells me to, is what Jesus said. They were, they are the same yet different. So they're going to have the same thoughts, they're going to have the same goals. That is the kind of unity he prays for us to have. That is the kind of unity that he gives us his glory in order that we do have. We have to be so united that people can't tell us apart. I mean, that's really what he's talking about here. We have to be so overwhelmingly purposeful that people know, well, that's, I'm going to pick on some people, that's JR. Yeah, I know JR. I know you're growing up, but, but this is JR of First Baptist Sulphur. I mean, they just, they just stick together. You know, that, that, you, just, you know people from First Baptist Sulphur. Uh, that's Vita. Yeah, you just know, she's from, you just know people from First Baptist Sulphur. That's, that's Ken. They, they, they think alike. They act alike. They, they have the same purpose. Now, clearly, again, different roles, different functions, different responsibilities. Let's do a little thought experiment. Have you ever been able to identify, especially think old pictures where maybe the, they were grainy or uh, uh, they, they, you know, we didn't have digital so you didn't take 50 of the same five seconds so that you made sure you got the good one. They had one shot and, and somebody turned their head and, and they weren't in the picture good and, or, or you only got half of them or you got an arm or something. How many of you have ever identified someone by something other than their face. I mean, this is the easy part, but you identified somebody in a picture. Oh, that's great grandpa, look how he's standing. He stood that way the, uh, the, from the time we ever, you know, for, he, he, got, he got kicked in the hip by a horse when he was 14 years old and forever he stood like this. You just knew, right? Because you knew him or, or you have like in, 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 parts of my family, I don't have a small head. 
And so we recognize particular family members because, oh, size of their head. I've got other, another line that, that they have pretty large noses. And you can recognize, oh, that's part of the family because, oh, yeah, yeah, see him? Yeah, I have a, a, my grandfather and an uncle, for example, who looked, in my mind, almost exactly alike. Uh, and, and even in pictures, you go, have mercy. Uh, Felix and William, I mean, uh, uh, Rufus and William look, man, they're almost twins. They're not. They have family characteristics. Two totally different men, two totally different responsibilities. And if you look at your own body, the fingers and the hands and the hair, and it, it's all different looks, all different responsibilities. But even in those pictures sometimes, oh, those are my grandmother's hands. I know those hands because those hands were, were holding my hand for so long. And I, 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 know, I know the way they, they, they looked when, when they, uh, she'd stroke my face and, and, oh, look, yep, that's her purse because she always had a purse that matched her shoes or, you know, whatever. You, 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 you recognize even by certain parts of the body, I know that person. That is the kind of unity Jesus is talking about here for the church. That when people see individual parts of the body, you are recognized as a part of the church. Now, we, get, we need to expand this out a little bit. Even if they don't recognize you as First Baptist Sulphur, they should recognize you as a part of the church of Jesus. As one of his people. As one of his. That we will be one. Not self-generated or an end to itself but for the purpose of sharing the gospel. And just in case you didn't get it, just in case one of the disciples after that big meal burped right there and didn't hear him say it the second time, or just in case y'all dozed off in the middle of that and you didn't hear me say it the second time, Jesus says it again. Verse 23, I am in them and you are in me so that they may be made completely one. Be made is passive. Be made is something that happens to us. We will be made unified. But he doesn't just stop at unity. He says complete unity, which is kind of redundant because... He just said that with the Trinity. The Trinity cannot be any more unified than it is. Jesus cannot be any more unified with God than he is. And that is the kind of unity he prays for for us. Who here thinks you have the physical, emotional, and psychological capability to unite a hundred and some people on your own by yourself just by the force of your will? Yeah, me either. Doesn't work. We will be made completely one. Third mention. And it's increasing intensity. It is also not optional, even though it's not guaranteed. What, what do you mean by that, Michael? If it's guaranteed, it, it, then, it's, then it's not optional. No. It is guaranteed that he will make us one if we as individual believers connect to him, to connect to Jesus through God or, or vice versa. We connect God through Jesus. Then our unity is guaranteed, but it is not guaranteed that you and I will constantly be in the type of communion and relationship with Jesus that we need to be. 
So that means we, have, uh, we must have our relationship with the Trinity, with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, correct so that unity can be resurrected in our church. You can't make unity, but you can better your relationship with Jesus, and he will resurrect unity. And then he goes on, Maybe completely made one, maybe made completely one that the world may know. Now, what did I have you circle earlier? That they may believe. Belief is great. Belief is the first step. Belief is a recognition, and, and belief can have an element of knowing to it. But we have stepped from simple, I say simple, from belief. Going from one, from not believing to believing, that's a huge step. But now we have come to the point of confidence. Now we have come to the point of certainty that the world may know. How important is it that we be unified? We need to be unified so that they believe, and that belief becomes rock-solid certainty in their lives. How many of the seeds that scattered onto the, the street, onto the road, the rocks, that the sower scattered that Jesus talks about in Matthew 13, how many of those were trampled by un, or disunified church members? How many of those little plants that grew up were scorched by the sun of anger and gossip? from people who claim Jesus Christ. How many of our gospel seeds lie dormant because the world doesn't know about Jesus because they see a church that isn't unified? See, the world can't know an abstract concept. You can believe an abstract concept. You can believe something you can't see. It's hard to know something you can't see. It's hard to know an abstract concept such as salvation through the gospel. We can explain it to them. They can have faith. They can believe. We can look at historical documents and say all this is true. But there is no concrete, I see it with my own eyes, cross or pictures of the crucifixion or, the, or pictures of the resurrection. And even that we'd say, oh, fake news if we saw it. The only concrete visual of the abstract concept of salvation is love and unity among God's people. If we want people to know the gospel, to know that Jesus was sent by God and loved by God, then we have to have unity in our church. And we only do that by our individual relationships with God. When we show the world that we love each other, and love is a step toward unity. I'm going to increase my relationship with God, and I'm going to love people that are unlovable. And then God will do something with unity. God will give us the unity. When we show the world that we love each other, with all of our faults, with all of our differences, with all of our various and varying preferences, we show the world that God loves them. 
with all of their faults, with all of their sins, and even with their enmity, their war with God and toward God. When we love each other, we show in visual form that God loves the world. John 3, 16. And that's where Jesus wants us to be. That is his prayer for us. All the things Jesus could have prayed for. And he prays that our relationship is such with him that we will be a unified church so the gospel miss, miss, mission and message will be clear. God, forgive us where we have fought unity. We can't make it, but we sure as heck can destroy it. God, forgive us. God, help us that our love and unity will show a lost and dying world their need for a Savior, the truth of the salvation message, the message that says if you admit that you're a sinner and understand your sinfulness and turn from that sin and believe, right, that the world may believe you sent me, if you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and you choose to follow him, you choose to repent of your sins, to make Jesus your Savior, you confess him with Lord, as Lord. As a matter of fact, you, you come to the point where you know Jesus is your only hope for salvation. You'll be saved. And if you're listening today, if you're here, and if you're watching online, and, and you're thinking, but Michael... I, or you're yelling at a screen, but Michael, you don't know the hurt I've experienced in church. First, I'd say, try me. And then I would say, you might be right. And that is where the church has failed in her mission, has failed to love each other and allow Jesus to unify us. But because it cannot be seen in the concrete due to the sinfulness of people does not mean it does not exist in the abstract and in the very real concrete of a changed heart in your life. Forgive us, lost people, for not being the church we needed to be. Forgive us, God, for failing in the mission. And Lord, make us one. Pray with me. Father, thank you that you still work on unity, that you still correct and redirect, that you still that you still uh, convict first of how our personal relationship with you is not where it needs to be, and then how because of that we are not the church family that we are supposed to be. We do not have the unity that you have for us, that you have prepared to give us, that, that we must receive from you but will not receive until we are focused on you more than we are focused on each other more than we are focused on our differences. We are unified in you no matter what 
our responsibilities or characteristics. If we have trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior, we are unified in you. And Lord, I know there are, there are wolves in the midst of the church. There are those who, who come wearing the clothing of sheep and aren't. They've given lip service. They, have, uh, they, they act like it sometimes. But Lord, they've never trusted you as Savior. They are tares among the wheat. And you tell us that they will be with us forever. We cannot allow those tares, those wolves, to disunite us to tear us apart. It is the responsibility of the believers to unite against those things. Lord, you will, you'll separate the tares from the wheat when the time comes, when you come and, 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 and take us all home. We, we trust you for that, but right now, our responsibility as believers is to connect our relationship with you to to increase, to uh, strengthen our relationship with you. And Lord, let you bring unity among your people. Not so we'll be happy and content, but Lord, so we will be in an evangelistic powerhouse focused on the mission you have given us of making disciples of all people. Then the world will believe then the world will know. God, may it be so because you unify First Baptist Church of Sulphur. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Maybe this morning you need to respond to the gospel message and you want to do something like admit, believing, confess. You, you, you need uh, encouragement on that. You have questions, explanation. Maybe you're watching online or, or you're here. And Tom will be in the back while we sing and he would love to uh, talk to you there. Or he can take you somewhere in uh, one of our offices back here in the fellowship hall and spend a few minutes with you. Uh, one of the, the sta other staff can. Uh, one of our deacons. Uh, there, honestly, there shouldn't be anybody in here who has trusted Jesus as Savior they can't, that can't tell you how they trusted Jesus as Savior how they repented of their sins and followed him. So anybody can. If you're online, send us a message, let us know. If you're a believer, if you're a church member, this church or another, but a part of the body of Christ, then that connection with Jesus may need to be strengthened so that he can unify his church and that we can be the answer to his prayer. May they all be one. Now's our time to, to respond to God, to hear what he's doing in our hearts. Let's stand and sing, and you do business with him this morning.